hello and welcome to the Royal Central podcast from royalcentral.co.uk. I'm Lydia Starbuck, desk editor. I am Monique Blocks, the assistant editor. And I'm Brittany Barger, the deputy editor. So welcome back to our podcast. Lovely to have everyone with us again. We've got lots to get through this week. Uh, but as we've reached the middle of November, we thought it might be the right time to mention Christmas. Because we've not talked about Christmas yet, <laughs> but it's just around the corner and it's actually been quite high profile in Royal News in the last few days. We've just had confirmation from Buckingham Palace that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex and baby Archie are going to spend Christmas not with the royal family, but with Meghan's mum, with Doria, who's a granny for the first time and gets to spend Archie's first Christmas with him. I have to say, I wasn't particularly surprised by the announcement. I thought they might well want to spend Christmas with Doria and just have a nice first Christmas, low-key, quiet, get to spend the whole day with him. But other people have been surprised by it. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not sure why exactly, because, you know, she's a grandmother too, and she deserves to see him as well. And it's not like it's a snub to the royal family or something like that, because they've been the past two years. And... Uh, it's normal in families to spend the holidays between families. It's, we all spend, we all do it like this. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's completely normal. And William and Kate, they have both done it before, you know, spending Christmas with the Middletons. And that was fine. And then, I mean, you can look at other royal families, you know, across Europe and everything. The Dutch royal family often goes to Argentina to spend time yeah. with Maxima's family. So, I mean, it, it's normal. It's I don't see anything wrong with it. You know, Doria deserves to have, you know, spend her time with them as well. And I think it makes sense because, um, as we know, the the traditional British royal family Christmas is very structured. So there's a bit of a timetable to the day and it includes going to church mm -hmm. sometimes twice on Christmas Day morning. There's the walk to St. Mary Magdalene. There's the walk back. It's a big chunk out of the morning. And Archie's first Christmas is going to be really special, not not so much for him because he probably won't remember much of it, but his mom and his dad are probably going to want to cherish every single second. That's probably going to be easier doing it away from the cameras wherever they choose to spend it with Doria. Yeah, exactly. And he's so young, so he might not want to stick to a timetable and I guess Megan's uh, in tune with that as well. So it means we know that um, Christmas Day at Sandringham is going to look slightly different this year because, as you said, we've had Harry and Megan there for the last two years. Um, do we know yet whether William and Kate are going to be there? Has that been confirmed or denied yet? Because, um, as you said, Brittany, they haven't always gone. Like 2012, when Kate was expecting George, they spent Christmas with her mum and dad. Um, when Charlotte was tiny, we had those pictures of them walking to church together with George. So it's it's fairly normal for the younger generation to go off and spend Christmas elsewhere. Right. I don't think we've had any confirmation yet um, online whether or not they're going to be there. I mean, it, it's... If there's a possibility, obviously, that they could choose to spend it with the Middletons as well. I think there's a chance, you know, that we won't see either the Sussexes or the Cambridges at Christmas, you know, this year with the royal family, which is totally okay. That's their choice. But our minds are turning to Christmas because it is a time for royal traditions. What else can we expect across Europe um, as Christmas approaches? Because it even as you said, that you know, other families have been doing different things. Between Maxima often takes her family to Argentina time with her family. Yeah. There we've seen Crown Princess Mary and Crown Prince Frederick in Denmark hop over to Australia to be with her family. But the traditional Christmases across the different European monarchies always follow pretty much the same pattern. I would ask what yeah. are we just looking forward to, but 
I just, I know Brittany's going to say Sweden. <laughs> you know, the video that Crawford's Victoria and Daniel yeah. release every year. <laughs> it's just great. Oh, I look forward to seeing that every year because those kids are adorable. Okay. All right. Brittany says, yeah. Mo, what are you looking forward to? Don't say Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess I, I like all those Christmas speeches that they do, like the televised ones. There's some of them have New Year's New Year speeches, but I, I, I always like those Christmas speeches, like to give you a positive vibe. One of my favorite Christmas traditions now is um, the one that Camilla started a few years ago, where she has children from different charities round to Clarence House to decorate yeah. the Christmas tree. Oh yeah, I always enjoy that. And we've had lots of nice photos on royalcentral.co.uk. It's probably a good time to remind everyone as well that throughout December we'll have reviews of the year and a look at all the Christmas traditions across Europe and proper analysis of all the speeches as they unfold from Christmas Eve until New Year's Day. But one thing we probably won't hear included in the speeches this year, am I right in thinking Hang Harold of Norway does his speech New Year's Eve? Yeah, I know he's always in a tux by a piano, looking quite suave. But anyway, whenever he speaks... We probably won't hear reference to his daughter and her new partner because they've been in the news again in the last few days with perhaps one of their more interesting declarations of recent times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Brittany, you can do it's it. It's something, that, that's for sure. When Brittany stopped rolling her eyes, she is going to explain quite, quite why everyone's so, shall we say, surprised by... Um, yeah. He, um, Princess Martha Louise's boyfriend, has said that he and the princess knew each other in a past life. They uh, reigned together in Egypt. He was a pharaoh and she was a queen. I don't really know what to say. It's just like, this is just, wow. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's up there with some of the more unusual royal-linked stories of 2019. This relationship's not been an easy one for the Norwegian royal family. Martha Louise seems very happy. However, it has caused them some issues in the past few months related to some of the other things that her new partner has said. His views on health in particular proved to be controversial. book also pulled? Yeah. I don't know. Martha Louise has always been a little bit weird. People accepted it, and I think the the decision to remove her... um, title in business use was a good one so i'm not sure how smart her boyfriend is bringing this all up now so it just seems weird yeah yeah and i mean and obviously it's the most important thing is that princess martha louise is happy that's what we all you know hope for and everything it's just maybe something should be um not said out loud, but Martha Louise did apologize, I believe, for some okay. of his comments about their relationship. He he gave the interview to people, so he knew. Yeah, it's that difficult line, isn't it, between, as you say, sometimes if you're a member of a royal family or you're associated with them, your, public, your private life does become public property, whether you agree to that or not. However, mm. it also provides a platform and I suppose this latest interview raises the question of using that platform wisely because I don't think anyone would really say claiming to have been a pharaoh in a previous life with your royal girlfriend is using your platform particularly wisely. Definitely not. (laughs) In this situation, Princess Martha Louise's happiness comes first. She's a human being. She's happy in this relationship. He's happy in this relationship they're getting on great but you kind of think even 20 years ago it's the kind of relationship that 
would have then subtly ended a week later, regardless of the feelings of the people involved. It kind of shows how royalty is is changing. Yeah, exactly. And if you, when you, when it comes to Norway, obviously King Harold and Queen Sonia, their story, they fell in love and King Harold basically said he'd give up the throne. He would never marry, well, mm-hmm. he would never marry and he would there'd be no heir. So either let him marry the love of his life or, you know, the monarchy would not go on for another generation. <laughs> yeah. So I think they understand you know, that sometimes you fall in love with not who the public or the government expects. They just want their children happy. They're just very, um, very understanding and open to whoever their children want to spend their their lives with. And that maybe to an extent helps with their popularity because they are hugely popular, aren't they, Harold and Sonia? But they do have this very human element to their monarchy and they always have like you say going back to their own love story which they had to fight so hard to bring to the altar and then over the following years they have always supported Harkin and Martha Louise so it does it does make them seem have that kind of warmer air than as we were talking about the royals from yesteryear who would have just said well no sorry not suitable it would be interesting to see how um, Martha Louise and Derek fared back in the 60s and 70s, because we are going to travel back in time now anyway. Um, Our partners on True Royalty TV have been um, running some features recently about the historical events that are going to be covered in the new series of The Crown, which starts on Netflix. Um, It's released on Netflix in the US and the UK on November the 17th. So it's taking us back to the 60s and 70s. I'll put my hand up here and say I'm the only person involved in this podcast who's live in the 70s, but you know, you'll all be as old as me one day. Royalty TV are looking at... um, um, this new series where Olivia Coleman takes on the role of Elizabeth II. It starts in 1964, just after the birth of Prince Edward, and it's going to take us all the way up to the Silver Jubilee, which took place, Brittany and Mo, in 1977. For you, right. it's in the I'll believe you. <laughs> For me, I lived it. I was at a party. I was only four. Can I just say, in my defence, I was only four. Yeah. You're not that old. Come on. I was, <laughs> it's all right. But and I've watched The Crown since it started. I love The Crown. I know lots of people my age watch The Crown and it kind of brings us into the territory where we kind of probably know whether the history being portrayed is 100% accurate. And The Crown has been in the last few weeks the centre of debate about whether it's completely accurate. And if it's not, are people believing the kind of soap version of royal life? At the end of the day, does that damage royal families or is it just good to have the story out there? Uh, I think it's it's both. I was just re-watching a few episodes the other day and I noticed things that weren't factually correct, but it didn't really bother me. What I did mind from, I'm not sure if that was season one or season two, is how they blamed Philip for um, how his sister ended up in that plane crash. Oh. That was a bit, that went a bit far for me, but I can see why they've done it, but it, it just went a bit too far. And I suppose that's the crux of the matter, isn't it? Because Prince Philip himself isn't going to come out and, you know, start saying, well, actually, this is what happened. How dare you speak mm-hmm. about me in this way? But for some people who don't necessarily follow royal history that closely, it's a lovely program to watch. It's very well made. It's beautifully acted. Yeah. The whole design looks fantastic. So you can just sit and immerse yourself in it without any knowledge of royalty at all. But do you then walk away believing that storyline mm-hmm. is true? Well, what I found from last season is that a lot of people 
at least on my other website, I saw that a lot of people were Googling based on things they saw on the crown. So people are researching the true story behind the crown. So that's good. People are interested in trying to find out the facts. I guess people, some people will just take it as entertainment and others will actually take the time to research what it was really like. And I've had family who have watched it and they've asked me, you know, is it, mm-hmm. is it accurate? And I'm like, well, to an extent <laughs> that they are stretched a little bit or, you know, altered. So don't take the entire thing as fact. So mm. hopefully they've understood that. And I suppose to a certain extent they have to because we don't have like autobiographies from the Queen or Prince Philip or the Queen Mother or Prince Charles, you know, my early years in the Navy by Prince Charles. None of that exists. <laughs> no. To a certain extent, it can only be created from the public events and what we we presume has happened behind them because this series now that's coming up, season three, is going to feature the beginning of the relationship between Charles and Camilla. And it's that's the story that I think a lot of people think they know like the back of their hand, but actually we know very little of of what mm. went on with them prior to her first marriage, after her first marriage, prior to his first marriage. So a lot of, of what we accept even as fact, we don't necessarily know whether it's true or not. And I, I'm really hoping that, that it doesn't cause any more hate for uh, the Duchess of Cornwall, because, you know, she's, uh, she's, she's been an asset to the royal family for the last uh, 20 years or so and it would be awful to see her image being damaged yeah and she's she's so genuine and mm-hmm. and kind to everyone i mean yeah. i think she deserves to be queen consort one day um but that's a whole other story for another time <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll do another podcast on that but yeah camilla has yeah, really yeah. come into her own hasn't she especially these last few years she's um she's so well established now as a major senior figure in the royal family and as the queen gets older and she's taking on more and more responsibility she she really is kind of one of the main faces of the house of windsor it's really a, a fairy tale i think maybe not quite the way they've they would have liked it but uh, a fairy tale anyway so there yeah lots on true royalty tv about the crown there'll also be lots about the program on royalcentral.co.uk but for this week Shall we say thank you for listening and we'll see everyone next week. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.